So are we in it then? We're this in is it. it. We're in it. Go for it. We're in it. Talking about the humans with uh, Drama Shop Artistic Director, Zach Flock. Hello. And Director of the Humans, Mike Haas. Hey. And you are? Oh, and I am, I'm Nicole Lossi, member of the creative team. Shop yeah. Talk producer, Shop Nicole producer. Lossi. Mmm. There you go. That's pretty cool. Mmm. So, how, uh, what's the best way to uh, jump into talking about the humans? Well, I would say, let's give a little summary of it. Do you want to? Do you want to synopsize? Sure, I can. I can synopsize. Or do you want me to read the dramatist synopsis? No, I like can do a better job than them. All right, fine. Uh, so, the humans is the story of the Blake family. They are originally from Scranton. But their kids have grown up and moved to other places. <clears throat> uh, Bridget, the youngest, is in New York City, which is where the play takes place. It's uh, her apartment with her boyfriend, Richard. And the whole family's come over for Thanksgiving dinner. So we've got Eric, the father, Deirdre, the mother, uh, Momo, the grandmother of the children, the mother of Eric. Uh, and Amy, who's the other daughter. She's a lawyer. Can I read the dramatic dramatist one now? <laughs> Just because as you were saying it, I looked it up, and like it's like, you know, clearly going for like drama, right? Yeah. So I'm going to read that, and you can edit either one of us out. My whole life is drama. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is from Dramatists. Breaking with tradition, Eric Blake has brought his Pennsylvania family to celebrate Thanksgiving at his daughter's apartment in Lower Manhattan. As darkness falls outside the ramshackle pre-war duplex, eerie things start to go bump in the night, and the heart and horrors of the Blake clan are exposed. So that's a little more dramatic. No offense, I think those were about equal. I mean... I think the best synopsis, I mean, and I did see a rehearsal too, is the one that's in the drama shop, the event. Did you write that one? It's probably the one I just read. No, I don't think it is. It's the, um, hang on. I will also throw out there, too, that it is the winner of the 2016 Tony Award for Best Play. You might not have heard a ton about it when it won that Tony Award, because that was the same year that Hamilton won Best Musical and everything else. <laughs> Nothing else matters. And so I feel <laughs> like Hamilton kind of sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room, rightly so. Sure. But I think in, in other years, you probably would have heard a little more buzz about the play that won, although the musicals tend to be, you know, a little bit bigger stories. Can I read the one that you, that you have? Because I like it too. Sure. Uh, family dysfunction at a holiday gathering. Parents treating their adult children like kids. Adult children treating their parents like kids. Secrets kept, secrets revealed, and crap, where did grandma go? From the Blake family of Pennsylvania, Thanksgiving in Manhattan throws the family into turmoil. And as the play unfolds in real time, things may never be the same. Laughter, tears, and enough wine to make it through a family gathering are just a few things you'll see on stage in The Humans. Yeah, I did write that. And I think I, like I was maybe one. projecting a little bit of the flock family <laughs> Thanksgiving on there, too. So, But that one, I mean, after seeing it, I think that one resonated really well with me, too. Well, this will be a fun conversation, Nicole, because you and I have both sat in on full runs of the mm-hmm. show as well, whereas some of the podcasts we've done, you haven't not seen, seen and, and in many cases not even read the yes. plays, Here, I have and I've only read podcast. them typically, mm-hmm. so this is, we've all seen the actual show at various stages. I mean, we open less than, you know, yeah. I'll say this week yeah. we open. Um, yeah, so we've both seen it. Michael, you've been working on this for... 
seven, eight weeks at this point now. I still haven't so. seen it yet, but no. I'm excited. <laughs> no, yeah. Just close your eyes at everyone. Yeah. We'll tell him. We'll fill him yeah. in. So it's, uh, it's about this family. Okay. Let's just spend the entire podcast giving various <laughs> synopses of the show. So I want to ask you, Michael, um, this is mm-hmm. this is not your first time directing no. for Drama Shop. You've done a couple of shows with us. Yeah. Um, how do you approach directing maybe before the, you know, at the beginning of the process? And how has that been the same or different with this particular show? I would say that normally I approach directing like an actor because I act more than I direct. Sure. And so... I know what I like from a director, and I try to give the actors that. This show was a little different insofar as I almost made it more difficult for the actors in some ways. Uh, I mean, it's a very hard show On to be On purpose? <laughs> or well, do you say that with a certain amount of regret? Like, I'm legit no, asking that. No, I, no, I don't regret it. It was, it was done on, on purpose. Um, to make it harder for them at the beginning so it would be easier for them at the end. Um, so at the start, normally, you know, a director will give very specific blocking so that the actors know where to stand and where to move and when to move and things like that. I didn't really do that, uh, like, at all at the beginning. Uh, we basically started rehearsals, and I was just like, go where you guys want to go. Just feel it out. Uh, and if I don't like it, I'll tell you. Otherwise, keep doing it. And a lot of people weren't used to that. Uh, but they they rolled with the punches and they kept going. But the, the reason that I did that is so that it didn't look like someone choreographed a Thanksgiving dinner. Right. You know, because when you're at home at having Thanksgiving, uh, sometimes there are awkward groupings of people in weird locations and I didn't want to lose that fluidity right of people and we should tell the listeners we're we're on the set right now actually recording this it's it's definitely the most uh complex set we've built I don't know if complex is the right word because we've done some complex design before but it's the biggest in that it is literally a two-story set I mean the the, the play takes place in a two-story apartment and that's baked into the text. There's really no way around it. And I remember when we were reviewing shows and deciding on a slate for this season, I mean, this was one where we we read it and we were like, yeah, this is a great show. The question was really logistical, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can we actually achieve that set that's needed? And, you know, I think we spent a lot of time designing and planning. And, and J.R. Fabin, who actually ended up auditioning and becoming a cast member of the show as well, um, also played an integral part um, along with, with me in the design process. I can design what I want. <laughs> and then I, I need, especially for a, for a two-story structural set like this, someone like J.R. to work with me to say, okay, how do we actually build that in a way that it's... I mean, right. sturdy, first of all, mm-hmm. safe, looks good, all that kind of stuff, and then serves the needs of the show. So I say that at this point in the conversation because I do also think um, a certain amount of the blocking, while maybe you didn't give it to them and it's not necessarily even spelled out explicitly in stage directions, it is sort of implied in the text um, oh, in terms absolutely. of the action, right? Like yeah. whatever the characters are doing at that moment. To watch it kind of start farther back and kind of... 
on this upper level and then watching it kind of expand. And I mean, what you said about the Thanksgiving family dinner and people being in awkward spots, that's super true because, you know, you're like, all right, who do I want to hang with right now? And like chit chat with her second. And then do I need to help make dinner? No, if I stay over here, they won't notice that I'm over here. Like I could feel (laughs) kind of that a little bit with it. And dad going to the window to check the score of the game on his phone because that's the only place where he gets reception. Yeah. And, And moments too where the set becomes kind of a catalyst of like someone's listening to someone else's conversation without them hearing about it you know mm-hmm. or, and you at know. times without the audience necessarily knowing mm-hmm. because this is also i mean we're we're going into we're in tech week here so you know yeah. we haven't actually had the cast on stage with lights yet but one of the things that they and the audience will notice is that the lighting doesn't shift like it might in other theatrical shows to indicate where you should focus mm-hmm. I mean, there are times in the script where, like, a light bulb will burn out yeah. and, like, part of the apartment becomes because dark ghosts, so. because potentially of ghosts, because <laughs> of who knows why. Um, but but so there, I noticed during rehearsal a, a scene where the daughters are talking, and I won't reveal what they're talking mm-hmm. about, but mom is listening in, mm-hmm. and I didn't notice mom listening in right away, which is kind of cool because mm-hmm. the daughters obviously don't know that right. she's listening in. So... It really, in that sense, the the set is very, it's practical and it's functional, um, and and there's stuff happening mm-hmm. all over the set. Yeah, I I talk to my cast because at a certain point they were asking me like, "Hey, do you like this little thing I'm doing?" And, and they have a conversation, being like, "Just so you know, guys, there will be some things that you will do that literally." After however many performances we do, no one will see just because of the amount of stuff that's going on on stage. But if you're paying attention to character, you know, X at this specific moment, you're going to get a really great kind of reward from that of seeing how they're reacting to everything that's going on, even if they're not the center of attention in that moment. So we should mention, too, the other sort of unique quality of this particular show is that it unfolds in real time. Which means from the moment the show starts to the moment the scene ends, the amount of time that elapses for the audience is the amount of time that has elapsed for the characters. I don't know that I've ever seen another show. It's not used very frequently. And I think it's definitely more of a contemporary mm -hmm. device. So what that means is no scene change, Mm -hmm. no No intermission, no no passage of time or events and action in between. Mm -hmm. You see it all. Literally the only things you don't see is characters when they go to the bathroom. You know they go. You know they go. There's a bathroom (laughs) on the set and yes, you even hear the toilet flush. (laughs) Um, And the other things you don't see is when if they need to go up and down, grandma needs to take the elevator from Mm -hmm. floor to floor. Spoiler alert, there's no elevator on our set. So you don't see them when they leave the apartment to use the elevator in the hallway and then come back in. But everything unfolds in real time, which mm-hmm. is a really unique challenge, I think, for for audiences just because they're not used to it, but certainly for the actors. Oh, it was definitely difficult for are the actors. Are there actors that are on stage the whole time? I think everyone can hypothetically take like a three-second break like a minute. at some point. But that's it. No, I mean, it's not long. I mean, I feel like you do see a but lot. But even of... when they're off stage, like out of sight of the audience, it's not the kind of show where they're, you know, able to sit down backstage and have oh, a drink no. of water mm-hmm. and look at lines or anything like that. Because honestly, a lot of times when you're off stage, you still have lines. 
Yeah. That you or have you're waiting for your cue to come right, right back on. And you have a very specific moment where you do have to come back in because someone's going to be standing right next to the door when you exit or whatever it is. Talking a lot about the cast, um, can you talk a little bit, Michael, about the casting process of this show? Because I oh, feel like God. this is one show where, like, I, that was one of the, my takeaways was, like, <laughs> this cast fits each one of their characters so well. And it, what was that kind of the process for, for going into that? It was a blast of an audition process. Because uh, we had a bunch of people come, and they were... Oh, really, really good. So it was a matter of kind of finding the the group that like gelled the most together mm-hmm. as like a cohesive unit. And especially the relationship between the father and his mother, Momo, mm-hmm. the grandmother, uh, the father and the mother, and then the two sisters. And making sure that like those pairings yeah. worked yeah. well together. Um, and they're great. I mean, I want the mom to be my mom. Like, I want... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was Le- Yeah, Lisa Simonian yes. plays the mother. Um, and this is her second main stage show. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was Incident. She was in Curious Incident um, as as Mrs... Oh, my gosh. Mrs. Alexander. Yeah. I, I, I directed it, and I swear. <laughs> every time I gave her a note about Mrs. Alexander, I could not remember the character's name. But but totally just kind of this endearing mm-hmm. um, ensemble character. Like whose mom doesn't complain that that candle was just too right. expensive? You should right. get five candles for like that was just just the littlest mom things. She was very that was endearing to me, and I think that was just there was little pieces of that in every character that was like just it's an endearing to the family, thing, yeah. which helps kind of build that up for when things. Yes, get- I will <laughs> say I think we drama shop as a company tend to. I mean we. Knock on wood, we've had some really good luck when it comes to auditions mm-hmm. in that the right people seem to show up at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael's right. I was I was at auditions, and there was a lot of talent in that room, and unfortunately a lot of really great people who we weren't able to sure. use, um, which, you know, for, for a company, that's the best problem to have, <laughs> yeah, right? right? And so I do, yeah, I truly hope that, that all of those folks come back and audition um, for our upcoming stuff this season and in the future. But, you know, at the same time, you also do just kind of see things click and you see chemistry happening. And I know um, Jess and Nora, Jess and Unziata and Nora mm-hmm. Schillinger as as the sisters, right from those auditions, just not only had chemistry together, but also their acting styles, I think, just meshed well. Mm-hmm. Um, they really f- kind of feed off each other yeah, in a really yeah. cool way. Yeah. Like sisters do. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. And and that's a very important thing in this particular show because the sisters don't necessarily have a ton of dialogue together, but no. even when they're not talking to each other, I mean, we've all been around the Thanksgiving table, right? And mom's saying something or dad's saying something and we make eye contact mm-hmm. with our sibling and, and we say all the things we need to say without even saying them. Yeah. And I feel like you get that in the two of them. Oh, totally. And I also feel like you get that in the, the parents, in mm-hmm. uh, Lisa Simonian as the mother, Deirdre, mm-hmm. and Steve Ropsky as Eric, the father. 
Um, this is Steve's first time at Drama Shop. Um, I've worked with him at the Playhouse before and, and have known him a long time. I still, I might slip and call him Dr. Ropesky because <laughs> I will forever be a student to his professor when I'm around him. I almost called him Steve Carell, so that's <laughs> Okay, all right. Well, that's, that's not who he is, but he is very funny as he well. He is very funny. But I will say, it is if you have seen Steve in other shows before... I think this is Ropsky. Steve no. Ropsky or Steve Carell. If you've <laughs> seen Steve Carell in plays, I You'll guess good for you. Um, but if you've seen Steve Ropsky in other plays before, I think at least what I've seen him in, this is a very different kind of role for him. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool to watch him in that kind of role. Because as I said, he's a great comedic actor, but this isn't necessarily the most comedic of roles. <laughs> And, and I will say there's a there's a little bit of a dark quality to this character, and mm-hmm. Steve's one of the most like it's like the nice bubbly like yeah cool. like yeah. he's just a cool scientist. It helps with the <laughs> really jarring is. moments I think for him because it almost you'll think oh he's kidding oh he's kidding he's not kidding <laughs> he's not. oh my god like he's not yeah. there were moments like that for me saying like because he would say them in almost a way I don't know if this is I mean it was in yeah, your direction of them putting it together and just the way that he speaks is I didn't grasp it right away until then I was like there are some heartbreaking moments that he delivers that you're not really sure at first and then it hits you even harder yeah. because of that <laughs> yeah and so like his kind of mix of those emotions and being able to play with that kind of lightness but then going off the cliff right really really serves it well he's got some great moments with J.R. Fabin mm-hmm. who plays Richard who is uh dating living with his his daughter Yes. Um, so it's interesting to, to watch those dynamics of the, the sort of in-laws relationship, although they're not married, which is an added mm-hmm. layer for, you know, mom makes it known that she's not thrilled about that. And you kind yeah. of imagine that dad probably is not all that thrilled about it either. So there's a lot of subtext, but there's also just some great material between those two characters and they both play it well. Mm-hmm. And then Steve also has some really nice moments with Betsy Butariak, who plays his mother, um, affectionately known as Momo in this show. I was just going to ask, too, um, about Momo and about Betsy. What are some of the... I don't want to use the word challenges, but, I mean, what was it like directing... I mean, Momo doesn't really, for lack of a better word, talk that much throughout the show. I mean, mm-hmm. because of her however much you want to... Yeah, tell us about tell us about, about Momo. Okay, tell us about uh, Momo. Yeah, all right. So, uh, Momo, in, in the... The way past, you know, the, the good old days. Uh, actually, they weren't good for her. Uh, she used to live in New York City. Uh, and she is, like, Irish-American. Um, and she kind of, like, had to work to get out of New York City. because Out of the sort of slums, slum, tenement yeah. slums of New York City. Uh, and so, as a result of that, uh, Eric's relationship with the city is not so great because his kind of uh, connotation with the city is what his mother went through. Um, Momo now is much older and is suffering from like dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, and so she isn't always sure what's happening around her or even may not recognize the characters who are on stage, who she's known for years. Um, and it's funny because Betsy, at first, 
she told me this like, like a, a week or so ago. She was like, at first I thought, man, this is going to be an easy role. I just have to sit in a wheelchair and not talk much. And she was like, this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because she has to do just enough uh, to keep the character interesting without drawing any attention. Yeah. And so she, even though she's sitting in a wheelchair for almost the whole show, she has to have laser-like focus to not get distracted, to not lose her place within the whole without talking so she has no kind of anchor of like okay here's my line and now i know what to do um yeah you could see where it would be very easy like you said she's either sitting in the chair or on a on the couch mm -hmm. it could be very easy for an actor to to sort of check out Mm -hmm. yep and and betsy does not do that she does not and i know when when we were talking casting initially um we we talked about the the great things that you get with betsy she has done a ton of local theater mm-hmm. and is one of the is a fantastic comedic actress mm-hmm. um, and in Momo you have this complex character who at times is a source of humor and at other times is sort of the the emotional uh, core really yeah, yeah. yeah of, of the ensemble and so while it could be easy to view that as a sort of throwaway part I think it was right to view it as this is really central to the whole show and and you need an actor of that caliber that mm-hmm. can tackle it. Um, yes. So for Betsy, you know, she absolutely rises to that challenge. She, you know, she puts on um, age. She adds the complexity. Um, she really goes outside of what I've even seen her do before and, and really, I think, delivers a, a knockout performance. Especially without making the character a caricature. Right. You know? Right. It would be very easy for her to say, okay, I need to play this character who's X number of years older than me, who has these health ailments, mm-hmm. and, and become a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And that does not happen. It would be easy to overact happen. and become more of a distraction, right. I think, in that character. And I think that she found a really cool balance in between. Because I found moments where other things would be happening... And, like, my eyes would just kind of drift to her. And she wasn't doing something distracting, but, I mean, she was doing something. You know, yeah. she's, I mean, she's got her little comfort animal, whatever mm-hmm. she has. You yeah. know, she's got stuff going on. But it's never, she's not drawing the attention to her. She's just another elaborate part of this family scene that you put together. I thought that was yeah. really, really nice. It's kind of cool seeing, seeing a show like this that, um, you know, with this big of a set, I could see where in some ways you might think this would work better in a 500-seat auditorium. But being in our smaller venue, it really puts you in oh, the apartment. Yeah. Um, and, and so, whereas, you know, if you were sitting in the, the front row of the loge at the Playhouse, you'd be, I don't even know how many feet back, but able to take in the whole set at one time, right? With this show, in this space... You can't look at the whole set at one time without kind of moving your head around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like looking at like a, a super detailed painting, right? Where mm-hmm. like you can look at this section of it and focus on what's going on there. And then, oh, down in this corner of the painting, there's this whole other thing that's playing mm-hmm. out. And so typically the dialogue kind of guides you as far as where to be looking. But even while those moments are playing out, if you take in other parts of the space, there is action and there is there are other things happening that are not distracting, but mm-hmm. just, again, 
harken back to that. Yeah, yeah, this is Thanksgiving, and not everybody's just going to sit around the table. When you're not part of the main conversation, you're not just in off mode over on the couch. Right. Yeah, this isn't The Sims. You're not just standing in the corner, right? Yeah, I will, I will say, like, I have the advantage from having seen every rehearsal um, that a, a lot of people who are only going to come see the show once are going to miss... A yeah. lot of what is happening because even even during the like main uh, conversations that you were talking about, sometimes there are two conversations happening at once, right? And you can't pay attention to both, and so you have to kind of choose. Okay, I'm going to pay attention to what's happening downstairs. You're going to miss what's happening upstairs, and that's just part of how this piece exists. Yeah, you know. Um, which in some ways is really cool and in other ways is very frustrating. So I think what Michael's saying is there are seven performances and ideally everyone should buy a ticket <laughs> to each of those seven performances. Yeah. See it seven times. Why not? Why not? Once for each, right? How many Day of the time? week. There's six <laughs> members. So at least come six times. I mean, It's like binge watching, but just the same episode over and over. And we've all done it. Yeah. We've all yeah. done it. I watched The West Wing again this morning. I'll yeah. admit it. Like the... It's like watching the dinner party episode of The Office with Steve Carell. Oh, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, with Steve Robeski. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just over and over again. Kind of. And actually, yeah, kind yeah, of is. No, really. That's, that's probably the... Let's redub that whole synopsis So section. the synopsis is... <laughs> <laughs> so I also want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, there's a full team working on this. It's not just those actors and Michael, right? And I would say in a large way, you've got some other folks taking on some pretty big responsibilities. So you've got a fantastic AD in BJ Wade, and also you've got Zach Hoffman and Brittany Shaw, and you've also got Monica Harden on crew. So we have BJ Wade, who's uh, assistant directing, who has been so, so, so helpful um, throughout the process because she, she and I have very different ways of looking at a play. Uh, just as an example, uh, during auditions, I really like to listen a lot. And she was super visual. You know, she was just like paying attention constantly. And so we, we complement each other really well. And so she picks up on things that I have n- not thought of mm-hmm. or I've seen 20 times. And she was like, you did it differently that time. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> good uh which is always great to have when you're like collaborating artistically is to have someone who can uh complement your weaknesses uh and she absolutely does that plus she's uh, just a workhorse you know she she puts in so much time and energy into this production i can't thank her enough um on the stage management crew side of things we we have three people um and they are doing so much (laughs) during this uh so for one during recent um rehearsals they give lines to people uh who you know who forget their their lines lines. right (laughs) And that, that's normal. Like I just did to you just there. Right. I forgot Whoa. my line. Except you line. didn't call for it. Um, mm. Normally, you know, that's in and of itself difficult. But when you have two or three characters who are overlapping lines or two conversations happening simultaneously, it takes 
multiple people to be able to call out line to specific people. So in addition to that, we also have a full Thanksgiving dinner happening on stage in real time. They ate during the rehearsal that I came to. Do they eat at every rehearsal? Yeah, they've been eating for weeks now. The entire cast has each gained 20 pounds. (laughs) Well, I wonder because I was like, this isn't even a dress rehearsal. And I see JR back there pick up, uh, you know, some celery. He's kind of silly. Yep. Well, the the thing of it is, is one, if you're not preparing the meal, what we found is there's so much like dead time. Mm -hmm. You know, half the thing of Thanksgiving is cooking the meal. And so without that being present in the rehearsal process, we were missing a ton of stuff. And it's also not the kind of thing that you can add in tech week. Like you guys needed to start playing with that very early in the process. It's choreographed at this point to like when this dish is brought out and Mm -hmm. when that dish is brought out. And And I think you've started with like leftover cookies from our ugly sweater party. And And over time the cast just brought in things. It looked relatively healthy the day I saw it. I mean, there was vegetables on the table. There was, I mean, and it almost seems like... Well, if you're going to spend six weeks eating and rehearsing, (laughs) you've got to eat healthy. There are times when like, I would see like um, Eric pick up you know, a piece of food or something. And that's almost an answer to something that somebody's asking him. It's like, you know, they ask, he gets asked a question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to bite some celery this, instead of answering you know, that. Well, exactly. So yeah. like, you're right where you can't just add that, you know. And the other thing is, it's just, before. it's difficult to act and eat at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a joke of like, yeah, you can chew bubblegum and walk thing. But like, really, you could choke on food if you're acting and... If you've never done it before. Yeah, and you're, you're just adding like, oh, hey, by the way, eat this turkey while you're doing that scene we've been doing without turkey. For me, I think that's right up there with getting dressed on stage. Mm-hmm. You've got to time it exactly right. Yeah. There's no faking it. Oh, I hate that. I hate on stage costume changes. Yeah, I get nightmares still about. I had one. I had one There's in. Kind of this. I had one in. I love you. You're perfect now. Change at the Playhouse. That was. We were getting dressed during the opening number, mm. and so not only were, was it getting dressed on stage, but it was time to the music. It. Like once the bars of music are gone, if you're not fully dressed, then you're like doing a part of the song and zipping up your pants mm. when you should already be fully dressed. So. I had one in Little Mermaid at the Playhouse where it was like, oh, where you had to turn from a mermaid into a human. Is that the well, one? Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's probably yeah. pretty important. Pretty basic. More so than my example. What's funny is that. I had one where she was in a bathtub, so I'm like partially stage undressed, right? And then she gets out and goes behind a curtain while singing still and has to get into this pink dress with like it zipped up and stuff. So it took three people to get this off. I don't doubt that at all. But now I think there should be a version of The Little Mermaid where it's like literally just done in a bathtub. (laughs) That would be like the low tech version of it, right? Yeah, everyone's in in bathtubs. It's like a Cialis commercial. (laughs) (laughs) I've gone too far and I apologize. No, I enjoy it. How far into the podcast is it that I've had to apologize? Uh, Just a half hour. You're good. (laughs) All right. All right. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. But yeah, eating and costume changes are probably two of the worst things to have to do on stage. And animals. Animals. There's no animals in this one, though. No. No. Spoiler. My dog, Millie, does not cameo in this show. Yet. I was going to say, there's still time. Who who knows? We haven't opened yet. Who knows what could happen? There are no dogs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) We couldn't add a dog. We've disappointed you all. Uh, Ticket sales just 
Oh, people are asking for their money back. back. Yeah, oh, no. that's weird. Weird that that happened, um, especially since this is recorded. <laughs> I can see the future. It's the ghost. They could. Oh yeah, ghost. Let's, Let's talk. talk about ghosts. And Let's and can talk I about ghosts? Can I talk about the nine eleven connection to this show? So. You know, the, the show takes place, I, I think we're just kind of putting it present day, but it originally premiered in 2016, so it's, you know... It's very contemporary. It's, it's, yeah. it's Right. It, it, and it is certainly post-9-11 by a good decade or so. Mm-hmm. Um, not or so. Yeah, the characters been. who are in their 60s would still be in their 60s. The characters in their 20s are still in their 20s. Right, right. So one of the things, one of many things that is on the mind, certainly of the father, is that his daughter is living in Manhattan post 9-11, and it's revealed during the course of the show that the other daughter, Amy, and the father were actually in New York City on 9-11. Yes. So... I don't want to... You can be in control of spoilers here if you want to talk about what their story of that day was and and how that sticks with them or... I'm not too worried about spoilers, honestly, because even if you know all of this and come see the show, you're going to gain new appreciation for the the depth of it. But yeah, so... um, Eric and Amy were in New York City. They they drove in from Scranton uh, because she had an interview as a paralegal. And Eric uh, was at a Dunkin' Donuts, I believe, only because the observation uh, deck wasn't open yet uh, on uh, the towers. And so that really kind of shakes him. which, frankly, is is kind of a story that a lot of people have shared. That, mm-hmm. you know, I would have been in the tower if not for X, Y, or Z. Or you hear the stories of people who would have been on one of the planes except they missed their flight. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, their travel plans changed at the last minute. And, and being, you know, uh, kind of a, a lower middle class family in, in 2001, they didn't have cell phones with each other. So... He couldn't find Amy after after the, the towers fell. Yeah, so that really struck him, and he cannot understand why his other daughter Bridget is now living in Manhattan. Right, uh, and he's he's very concerned about uh, kind of terrorism and also natural disasters. You know, he keeps bringing up the fact that. The apartment's in a zone A flood zone. Which I think also there's a reference that puts it post-Hurricane Sandy. Yes. When there was significant flooding in in lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And this takes place in Chinatown. So I think they mentioned that the the reason she's able to afford the apartment is because because it had been damaged in the hurricane. And and yeah, so it's, yeah. And it's it's just interesting. First of all, those, those two contemporary references that make it that much more real but also particularly the the 9-11 connection i think is one that for a lot of people you know that we still carry the weight of that day with us and you could understand why this father is concerned for his daughter and why he's carrying that weight with him so when i mentioned that this is a bit of a maybe darker or heavier character than i've seen steve ropsky play before that's certainly a big piece of it is that it is this sort of he's he's got this seriousness and this concern and and he's also just kind of 
on edge yeah. uh, almost from start to finish. So there's there's definitely um, a sense of anxiety that that hangs over the show that is mm-hmm. certainly heavier at times than at others. But I think that you know that's that's theater. There's got to be tension, right? There's got to be drama. I would almost say like it, it's not anxiety in terms of like nervousness. It's like dread <laughs> like yeah it, the kind from, of, from that particular character right right it's kind of this deep-seated guttural anxiety not like surface level yeah you know he's not biting his nails he's staying awake at night uh yeah that sort of deep anxiety so people always ask when when they're asking me about shows that we're doing is it a comedy <laughs> is it a drama? I know, awkward transition, right? But Michael, having spent the last so many weeks with it, where do you classify this, or, or how do you, you know, <laughs> and you're just gonna, your laughter in response to the question? I think might answer that question. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll start off by saying, contrary to a lot of drama shop shows, there is no audience participation. So, uh, true. So please don't. (laughs) So don't yell things out at the cast. Um, so I still, there, there are a lot of moments where I will still laugh at what, you know, the cast is doing and the really, really funny moments. There are also moments that are really hard for me to watch. Uh, and I've seen it dozens of times and it is still just rough how so um it's really relatable in a lot of ways for anyone like i know and i'm sure many of the people coming here will know every single character who's on stage in one way or another um you will probably relate to two or more of the characters yeah. in one or more ways. Um, and so the, there there are these really light moments, and then the floor kind of drops out, and it's followed up by this incredibly real moment that's shocking, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. You know, it, it, just like in real life, Thanksgiving. I was going to say, so it's family Thanksgiving, yeah. right? Where you have these moments of levity, and then all of a sudden, uh, there's kind of these—I wouldn't say truth bombs, but like moments of revelations, yeah, perhaps. revelations. Um, Not biblical capital R revelations, but maybe yeah, I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's a lot of biblical stuff in here. That's true. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're, um, they're not Irish. Catholic Irish family. Catholic? Yep. Irish Catholic family from Scranton. So, yeah. So, but I think you're right. The, you know, there are those those moments of comedy and moments of drama. It's it's a family celebrating Thanksgiving yeah. together. I also think there there's a certain level of suspense. Um, I've read some publicity around other productions that almost lean pretty heavily into the idea of it being a thriller. Because there is some kind of... Didn't the one synopsis literally say something like things that go bump? That was the dramatism. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, I could see leaning into that 
to you know there's there's a noisy upstairs neighbor yeah, that you saying, never that see stick with but you hear some bumps me. in the night from her apartment i suppose mm-hmm. um but you could you could certainly lean into some of that i don't know that that's the focus of this particular production of it i think you've really focused on the relationships of the characters on the the story that they're experiencing and revealing but but there is a, a sort of eerie quality that's that's e e r i e quality to the to the text right yeah no it's it's off putting enough so that you're just like, well, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, for yeah. example, I'll, I'll throw one thing out there that I don't think is, is too spoilery. The the father's having these dreams that keep him up at night. Mm-hmm. And he describes what he sees in the dreams. And it's sort of a, a haunting kind of image. And at the same time, he keeps checking the window and, and seeing <laughs> someone outside. And so it, there are these sort of like, uh, something feels a little weird here yeah. kind of moments. The daughter has not seen before. Right, and doesn't yeah. see when she looks out the yeah, window, right? Yeah, she's gone so, by the time. Yeah. He's we talked liquid. a lot about fear <laughs> uh, during this process. And, like, what is your character afraid of? Uh, because so much of this play, what the characters are doing is based in whatever they're scared of in that moment. Yeah. Whether it's, like, loneliness uh, Amy's going through a breakup. And Amy's going through a breakup and is chronically ill. Right. Uh, she has ulcerative colitis and is like uh, going to be having some medical bills come up. Um, and so some are afraid of like old age mm-hmm. or losing their mental faculties. Um, some are afraid of not succeeding in what they love and enjoy and are passionate about. Um, you know, Bridget struggling to find work mm-hmm. and her uh, career path. And so one of the things we talked about was, you know, dementia is at least partially hereditary. Right. So when you're seeing Momo not understand what's happening or who you are, on some level, you know that you may experience that. And for Eric, that may be coming sooner rather than later. We don't know. Yeah. Um, and you talk about the relatability of, of the characters and of the situations. And I think for for anyone who has seen a relative um, as they get older in decline, it is. It's a, it's a very jarring, very scary thing. And then, you know, I'm sure not only is Eric experiencing that, but you have Bridget and Amy seeing their grandmother get older, seeing their parents get older as well. And, and to your point, thinking, is that the same future that, that their parents are going to have? So, you know, that's that's Thanksgiving dinner with the family, yeah. right? It's the good and the bad. And you mentioned, you know, Amy and Bridget both kind of having some different job or money related concerns and again relatable right Mm -hmm. but you see those moments where family has your back and there are definitely those moments there where you feel that this is a family who truly loves each other and has each other's back but like family there are also those moments where you see them kind of feeling like man i wish they had my back a little Mm -hmm. bit more 
Or those other, you know, on the total flip side of it, those moments where you just think, just stay out of it, family, <laughs> right? Like, Well, I really liked those moments between um, uh, Bridget and... JR. Richard. Mm. Richard. Richard. There were definitely, they don't have the perfect relationship, but there wasn't yeah. anything earth shatteringly wrong with their relationship. You know, I think that's another thing this show does. You really see the job stress of, of them hosting, of hosting yeah. you know, the holidays. And it's nothing that's going to explode and blow up and right. nobody, you know, he didn't kill anybody. Nothing's wrong. It's just a matter of like, it's not going to be perfect all the time. Sometimes it's going to be like, honey, get out of my face. <laughs> and or, it's a little, or just, honey, do the thing I asked just, you to I do. I asked you to go just get do it. it. Just do it. Don't ask. Like, I yeah. liked that there was, and there wasn't even necessarily anything. You know, they weren't going to be... It doesn't necessarily take no. you anywhere or lead you... But, but it, you it's know, just yeah. those little moments of she'll make a face... The I'm so glad I got a photo of the face <laughs> that Bridget makes. I don't even remember what he said. But it, it's just that's so relatable to me of being like, oh my God, like if I roll had a sound, you know, <laughs> yeah, it would right. be so loud right now. But just those moments were really I nice. also, I love the the moment between Richard and Eric. So it's the father having a conversation with the guy who's living with slash sleeping with i'll say it his daughter but not married to his daughter and and richard is trying so hard to to be liked and to connect with him and at one point eric mentions the the score of the game Mm -hmm. and it takes richard a second to even know what he's talking about because he's not a sports fan kind of funny because jr is one of the probably most diehard patriots fans i've ever met so to see him play the, the clueless like oh oh yeah football it's just kind of funny for me on a personal level but yeah that i mean i think every you could you could look at any two characters that was such a fun scene and there's ours. yeah there's something between any two characters that you can find that is relatable mm-hmm. yeah i i will say too i don't think we've talked about a ton but I do want to emphasize that, like, this is not a rich family. Like, just because it's taking place in Manhattan, right? These people like do not have a lot of expendable money, right? Um, I would say it's pretty comparable to like the average income of Erie, probably. Yeah, and like most Americans and probably most Erieites, the parents are at an age where they, you know, had maybe thought that they would be able to kind of easily slide into retirement and be you know able to provide for the rest of their lives but because of jobs over the years and and job uncertainty and the grandmother's health issues and everything else you know money is a concern for all of the characters yeah this is also after the great recession right you know that's also a factor in all of this yeah um so it's a really cheery play (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's real lighthearted. So, you know, it's we always <laughs> I always get asked the question of why did you pick the show, right? Why is Drama Shop doing this particular show? So let's talk about that a little bit. Like, why do we feel like this fits that mm-hmm. mold and, and fits expectations of... Well, we threw the dart at the board. And... <laughs> That's right. That's... We, we threw a bunch of scripts <laughs> on the floor and the eight that landed closest to us, there's our season. There you go. Who knew? Is no, I mean, I, you know, I think one of the kind of um, unintentional mantras and we've started to put it out there a little bit on social media that has come up is the idea the, the word different mm-hmm. right so I think we always try to do something that um, you probably wouldn't see on another stage in Erie and that's not meant to knock anybody else but literally just that it, it fits what we do and that also um, you know is something that we feel we can do 
I hate to say better, but that that fits us more than anybody else, right? Yeah, each theater has their own niche. Exactly. Like wheelhouse. And for us, this play fits into that uh, based on the kind of intimacy of our space you really get into the family dynamics and how everyone is reacting to each other and just and it's very contemporary as well uh and those three kind of elements really fit with the kind of shows that we do consistently you mentioned the space so the show like many shows started off broadway Mm -hmm. um was really well received critically and commercially in a smaller off-broadway theater then moved to a bigger theater and did okay, but a lot of the feedback, I think, was that it it was more of an off-Broadway show than a Broadway show. So it didn't run that long on Broadway. Um, my wife and I actually saw the touring production when it came to Cleveland last year. And, and I don't go to Cleveland enough to know the names of all the theaters, but it was one of the really big, like, bigger than the Warner kind of a theater. And, and it just... There, you felt so detached from the action that I agree. I think in in this smaller venue, you're just that much more connected to the characters, connected to the material. So I think for that reason, it, it works well at Drama Shop. Yeah. And I think we also do tend to pick shows that, um, you know, as someone working on a show, I always want to be challenged in a new way, right? So I think we also try to pick shows that will create those opportunities for the community we serve in so much as the actors that we serve. Because we don't just serve our audience, we serve the people who give their time and energy mm-hmm. to volunteer on our productions. So, you know, for me, this is also one that, that serves up a hefty challenge to the six actors who were um, fortunate and, and who we're fortunate enough to have in this production. Um, the material, the the sheer volume of the material is a challenge. The the logistics of this has to happen on this floor while this is happening on the other floor. And actually, I'll jump back, Michael, to you. You talked early on about how um, you didn't really give that initial blocking in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. You kind of let it unfold. Yes. But and, and jump in if this is incorrect. But then I think you ultimately then kind of jumped in a little bit more um, specifically to to balance things out to clean up those moments to to work out the the logistics because while yes it makes sense for for actors to do what comes naturally because of the complexity of the material and and of the set and of all those other pieces you do need to then step in and and kind of fine-tune that stuff and repetition was key as well so the, the first time you do it it was kind of a natural reaction the second time you do it feels a little bit weird but then the 40th time you do it it becomes natural again right so you you kind of have this like you have to start natural and then it gets kind of weird and choreographed and then eventually it becomes natural again Uh, the other thing i want to mention is just how much these actors have to be thinking about at any given moment so they have to be thinking about not only their lines but almost every other line in the script, which is a hefty 120-some pages yeah. of just pure text. Um, they have to be thinking about who they're paying attention to at any given moment because it's not always the person 
who's talking. And sometimes they need to not pay attention right. to the person who's talking. Because obviously the people who are on the second floor of the set need to be speaking at a volume that the audience can hear, and yet the people on the first floor of the set on the couch need to not hear it, right? Unless they... <laughs> Are supposed choosing. to overhear it. Yeah. Unless yeah. In which choosing. case they need to then indicate yes. that yeah. they're, yeah. They need to be thinking about uh, where they are locationally and also where the other actors are in relation to them. So uh, if someone is, you know, standing in front of me and they haven't been standing in front of me before, they need to move, you yeah. know? And that's something we, we talked about is like naturally kind of adjusting on the fly if something happens. They have to be thinking about the food that's in front the props, of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whether it's their glass of wine or their snacks or because there are drinks, there's champagne, then there's appetizers, then there's wine, there's also pop, and then there's the full meal. And then dessert. Yeah, and then dessert. <laughs> yep. So there's a lot of food. So I again want to want to give a shout out to the cast and to the crew members because we talked about oh how you know what if something is supposed to be carried on stage on page four, but it's not then needed until page sixty. There's no way to fix that, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to come out on page four. Or between page four and page 60, one of the we actors who's thinking out. through all those other things, or one of the crew members backstage, or maybe both of them in some sort of weird mind meld, <laughs> need to figure out how do we get that thing so that it's where it needs to be on page 60 without drawing attention to the fact that it didn't come in on page four where it was supposed to. Yeah, I've, I've described this play to the cast and other people as one of those like Rube Goldberg machines, you know, where you like push a domino and then it like hits a ball, which pings off of things to like flip a switch at the end. Right. And if that ball makes the wrong turn on step two, then step 30 never happens. And you won't necessarily realize it. You definitely won't ask the audience, but you may not even ask the actor realize like, oh shoot, we need that cup, Mm -hmm. you know, from 10 minutes ago in two minutes and it's not there right. and they have to adapt. And so that's a, another reason why we didn't do really kind of strict blocking is so if something like that happens, it doesn't look really jarring for the people to like suddenly walk back to the kitchen area and grab something. That kind of natural movement is already built into what we do. Right, right. Well, there's certainly a lot that an audience can <laughs> look forward to as far as, I mean, really if you're into any kind of, you know. Yeah. Well, and the one other piece that I want to really emphasize is that, and I think it goes back, it's it's a testament to the solid work that's being done on stage, but it's also um, the, the structure of the script and that idea of the play unfolding in real time. Mm-hmm. It goes by so fast Mm -hmm. it really feels quick like the time elapses and then you look at your watch and see just how much time has unfolded and it's kind of jarring because it does not feel long at all there's there's maybe like one section of the play where it does feel a little bit slowed down or 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 i don't want to say i'm going to say laborious because But that's intentional, right? I think you probably know exactly the moment I'm talking about. And it's by design that there's a particular moment where it's almost like the action kind of crashes, right? And and the floor drops out. Mm. Not literally, although that would be cool if we could achieve it. (laughs) 
Um, although that probably means there's something wrong with the set if the floor literally drops yeah. out. So head to the exits if you see that happen. <laughs> but no, the, the, the show really moves at, mm-hmm. at a pace that... Oh, I wasn't planning on staying the whole show when I came to photograph <laughs> last week. And this is this is real. Not because I didn't want to see the whole show, but just because... You I were there like, to shoot some rehearsal photos. I was there to photos. shoot some photos, yeah. you know, for, for the showcase and otherwise and stuff. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll just watch a couple. But then I just kept shooting and I was like... Okay, hang on. Like, I'll just watch a little bit more. And before I knew it, it was like the end of the show. Yeah. And because I also didn't know there was no intermission too. So like, that's your natural. I think that serves really well yeah. that there's no intermission because there's no reason to break up what's happening no. in this show. I mean, for it to just flow. Smoothly, it is. It is kind of like a binge watch, right? It like totally you don't. Was. Like, it's a binge you're gonna watch. let Netflix just play on to the next uh-huh. episode because you don't want to miss anything. Until it tells me anything. it's done, I'm gonna sit here and watch it, and that yeah. really is exactly what happened. Which. Like, also, I should probably, we have not mentioned the playwright Stephen Karam, so I should definitely give him a shout out because he wrote a Tony Award winning play yeah. and it was also a, a finalist for the Pulitzer, but guess what? Hamilton won the Pulitzer that year. So again, I kind of feel like he got edged out, not to take away from Hamilton at all, but again, just to speak of the, the magnitude of, of how great of a play this mm-hmm. is it's tight. and how fortunate we are as a company to be able to produce it. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to be able to share this with, with eerie audiences. I think people are really in for a powerful show and you know I'm excited to to get to that point where we can start hearing some feedback from them, which again is, is a, as crucial a part of the process as any, getting that feedback from our audiences and knowing you know where we succeeded and where we fell short. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a, a part of the process that frankly is, is an exciting one, so. Or not even, like good or bad but just like how they react yeah to things yeah you know because I, I have an idea of like what i would like people to walk away from this feeling but if that's not what they're feeling that's interesting yeah yeah i always love the conversations that happen in our lobby after a show mm-hmm. because it typically starts with a oh you were great or oh nice job and then it gets into the kind of meat and potatoes once you're through that, that surface level. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll just set up some secret we'll cameras. Some mics and, up there yeah. And just... yeah, you don't know it, but we're listening in. Or even better than that, the conversations that happen once people head, you know, across the street to mm-hmm. Jekyll and Hyde's or wherever they go after the show. For me, that's the real stuff. The the bad theater experiences for me as an audience member are the ones where we get in the car and we say, "Oh, that was fine," mm-hmm. and that's the end of it, right? So I hope that with this and with any drama shop production, that the conversation continues well after you leave the theater that night. I think for me, that's what makes it, and we can wrap this up shortly. But I I think that's for me what makes this show fit in with not only this particular season of Drama Shop, but Drama Shop in general, like the fact that then after I saw it, I went home and I wanted to tell my husband all about it. Like I wanted to talk about it. I was like, and then this happened and I wasn't really sure, but then I think this is what, and you know, I wanted to discuss it. And then of course I got irrationally upset that he hadn't seen it. I was like, you don't know what we're talking about So right Jared, now. buy so seven Jared tickets. And everyone. everyone buy but seven tickets. I think that, I think that it's a standout piece when good or bad I mean good in this case obviously but that you just want to talk about it and you want to find somebody like you know when you're reading a book or you're watching a show yes. and like somebody's not caught up and you're like damn it catch up because I need to talk to you about we this need to talk. that's yeah. what this is for us we're waiting for Erie to catch up and see this so now we can talk to you about it yeah that's I can't wait for them to see it